you are. Hello. Have you recovered? <laughs> so funny. I was just getting everything organized. And I'm still processing. Oh, yeah, I haven't even got to that yet. We have a whole hour we can debrief because we need to de- unpack so many things that happened in the last week. Absolutely. So this might be our debrief episode. <laughs> I, that would be good. How do you debrief what happened at the advanced and then the symposium? How does that even happen? We need to start at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> so once upon a time. <laughs> that was last Thursday, right? Friday, Thursday. Thursday, Friday was the advanced. Right? Yes, but... The journey started before that at the core and the sports and just... The core, the core was 31, 34, 30-something. Yeah. My brain stopped. There's an acupuncturist at the core from Belgium. And I, everybody else was from all over the U.S. And Canada. And where? And Canada. You're on like on three second satellite delay. Really? I'm going to recheck my internet. How about that? Just to make sure I'm plugged into the wall. Might be hard. Could be us too. You never know. Okay. And then there was one PM&R physician. And the question he asked me at the end of whatever day that was, it's probably on the fourth or fifth day. He said, so where do I fit FSM into what I do? And it's, so would you run FSM first or do an epidural first? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you pay your rent doing epidurals. Anyway, good point. Yeah. But they're also risky. Things go wrong during epidurals. So how about if you try FSM for the disc and the nerve, let's say for two weeks, three right. a week for two weeks, and you don't have to spend your time doing it, but you can have somebody in your office trained to do it. Right. And if that isn't done at the end of two weeks, shoot it. <laughs> shoot. Oh, okay, that works. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. It was an amazing class. It's just funny. You're you're saying this story matter-of-factly. <laughs> and what an amazing conversation that is just to have somebody who does that for a living and asking you how he can incorporate FSM into his practice. That yes. just shows you like the growth and the growth mindset of so many practitioners that is joining us on this wave that we're on right now yeah and it's the second phoenix core in a row where we had a pmnr md physical medicine and rehab md and both of them are 50 something so they've been in the business for 20 20 25 years. They know what works, what doesn't work. And I love the fact that they recognize the risk. They recognize the risk 
benefit ratio was a little bit sketchy, I think is the word my kids would use. And, and they found FSM one way or the other. And because I ordered so many blocks, facet blocks and epidurals back in the day from a PM&R MD, I know their world. Yeah. Because I took advantage of it. They can do some magic stuff. But in the last 20 years, so much has changed in the injection world, driven by the insurance companies. Guy, Roy Slack, would, because he was so skillful with fluoroscopy with a C-arm, you insert the needle into the joint. You put in dye to demonstrate that you're not in an artery, that you're exactly where you are, and that the joint is intact. You put steroids and lidocaine in the joint. The steroids snuff out 15 years of inflammation. Put the nerves to sleep. Then on your way out, then you do a medial branch block. These days... Insurance companies, I think, or maybe they just don't have the skill set, or maybe they weren't trained to do that. They won't shoot inside the joint. They just do a medial branch block, which works for about two hours and is literally completely useless. But they use it as a way to justify radiofrequency ablating the nerves inside the joint. Gotcha. Both of these PM&R physicians, I looked at them and I said, RF, radiofrequency, RFing the joint never works. It works for 6 to 14 months. Then when the nerves grow back, they've arborized. So you rosebush, you cut one and four grow back and they're really annoyed. And then you can do one more, which lasts about eight months. And then you do one more. So you can do it three times. And then you can't do that anymore. But then you can insert a spinal cord stimulant. And both of them, the reason I love both of these guys is they're so annoyed. They're just, this is just not right. So that was, that part, that part was, but the whole class was fun. It had such good energy this year. There's always good energy at these courses, but this year was exceptional or like exuberant to be there. And we're expressing so much gratitude for the podcast, which was so nice to hear because you and I have so much fun doing it. I know. But it's nice to know that it's actually doing good out there in the world. Uh, And then that always feels good. But to just go back to those two doctors that were annoyed, that's perfect. These are the people that I want in my class. Also, I want the trainers, I want the PTs, I want the chiropractors that are annoyed at the limitations that are in their profession. Because when they are annoyed, they have the open-mindedness to explore (laughs) other options. And this is who we want at the courses, the professionals that are willing to admit there's limitations. There are other solutions out there that they just haven't been able to get their hands on. And 
there's no ego. There's no ego. We start, it, it starts in the core. You continue it in your class. It goes to the, that goes all the way through is that FSM is an adjunct to make everything else you do easier. So almost everybody has pain patients. And so we start with the pain stuff, but we get to the visceral and the nervous system and the visceral. And you see a naturopath, you, you watch the light bulb explode over their head as they see how to put the vagus together when you get around, when you're confronted with SIBO or irritable bowel or Crohn's or, and then all of the dots connect and you're standing up in front of the room and you watch all of these kaleidoscopes go. Isn't that cool? I had this moment, I, the frozen shoulder talk that I gave a couple of years ago, I tweaked and I added it into the hidden gems talk this year. And I also give quite a few of these nuggets to the people who take the sports advanced class. And with frozen shoulder, there's type one and there's type two. There's two different types of onset. It's not just scar tissue. There's a whole kaleidoscope of people who get frozen shoulder from these idiopathic, and I'm doing bunny ears for those people who are listening, idiopathic onset, because it's never idiopathic. It always happens from something. And the slide that I had what was showing infections, it was for onset. It was showing different stressors, children going off to war, children going off to college, divorces, and then trauma, different types of trauma. And then on the bottom of the slide, it said, did somebody just say infection, stress, and trauma? Dot, dot, dot. And then anybody who's taken any of your stuff knows that when we say those words, that means the vagus. And I literally, this year was beautiful lecturing in that theater because I could see everybody clearly And like you just said, the look on people's, you could literally see the synapses and their brains exploding because I'm like, now you have a tool. Of course, all your treatments didn't last. It didn't hold. It didn't work because you didn't treat the vagus first. And they're like, somebody literally just put down their clipboard and was like, okay, I can leave now. I have all the secrets of the information. (laughs) So I'm going to leave now. My brain's full. Yeah, I'm done. So we have a moment in the sports where we stand up and I said, okay, everybody do this. Make some room in your brain because it's about to get fun. And that's how I felt like at the advanced. So we had, and I was saying this to Danielle, we were looking at the schedule in the lineup. And I said, isn't this just a star-studded afternoon? <laughs> Another star-studded morning. There really was no time to come up for air this weekend, this whole week. No, I'm really sad. I'm sorry. And you're welcome. Thank you. And you can see that look on people's faces. Like it was that like so much gratitude and yet just so overwhelmed with what they just heard. And I literally grabbed somebody and I said, you have the slides. You can reread all this stuff. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And Rob DiMartino is one of those people that has, I remember clearly the slide with a piece of Swiss cheese in it. (laughs) 
I'm not an auditory learner, so I have absolutely no recollection of what he said about the Swiss cheese slide. I somehow have to get my hands on a transcript. Yes. Because he's talking about coming back and doing the pre-course day. Next next year, the advanced is three days because we weave the case reports and the case reports. Yes. On Saturday and Sunday were just amazing. Amazing. So it, somehow I have to convince him in the six hour one to do two versions one that has the Swiss cheese slide, and the other version is content dense. Yes. That yeah. has the Swiss cheese means this for those of us that are. Um, yes. And I used to lecture with that style because when you take public speaking courses and these types of presentations, they always tell you like, don't put that much on the slide. They're there for you. But with this material, you need some content. Like maybe you don't need to go into elaborate or at least Rob can give us his notes or he can, like you said, get a transcription of it because... And I think this goes across so many of the experts in their field. They talk about it like it's so natural and it's just so common sense. And then there's me like with this horrified look on my face, frantically trying to like jot everything down and Google things in real time because I don't understand all this stuff. And it's just... And by the time you Google the last word they said, there are already 27 words past that. Especially if it's Rob DiMartino. Oh, yeah. And what did did he said? There was yes and no. No was no, I can't talk slower. Yeah. (laughs) So people were asking me or were writing in when we had Rob on the podcast. Number one, can you have him back on? B, can you pick one topic? And C, can he talk slower? And that's when he said yes and no. I have one speed. This is it. Live with it. It's like yeah, I literally told somebody you can play it back on YouTube or on Spotify and make it slower. You can change the speed to slow them down if you need to, or watch it twice. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, for me it'll be like four or five times. Yes, I can. Same goes with Jen Sosnowski. She has so much knowledge. And she's so passionate about what she talks about. And you can hear it in both of them and David Burke too. When they get excited about something, it's like a little wind-up toy that's just going around. And then we try starting out slow stories and then they get to the stuff that really turns them on. And it's... Yes. DiMartino, Burke, Patholi... I'm missing somebody. And then there was you and Clearfield in the morning. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And it's just, we have to give the, there's nobody that wants to listen to my portion of the advanced two or three times. Yes, absolutely. Okay. No, we okay. need to listen to it. And then of course there was Jay Shaw. We can't forget Jay Shaw. And then <laughs> after the advanced, we rolled <laughs> the symposium, which was, Neil Nathan as a starter. Right. <clears throat> okay. And then <clears throat> Jay Shaw was that afternoon. Who was right after Nathan? Dave Burke? No. Who was? Wait. <clears throat> now, you made me all self-conscious about not looking at my phone while we're on 
<laughs> like we, I because I had to take a picture of the schedule. I yes. couldn't schedule in my head and run this thing. Let's see. No. Oh, Jerry Pollock. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How? Oh. Hi. You have words. Go. I'm, have, I have no words. To watch the pictures of what he shows with what water does in tubes and in blood vessels. You think, okay, this, there's this professor that's going to lecture about water. How interesting could that be? Yeah. It was mind blowing. And he has so much knowledge and he's such a good speaker and his slides demonstrated a a pretty complex mechanism so easily. And so when you can have that visual of the tunnels that they made and to see the water going through and it was just, And when you boil it down, no pun intended, to what we do with the human body, using it as a semiconductor, how we are learning about using heat instead of cold for vasodilation versus vasoconstriction, how fascia needs those water molecules to work with the biotensegrity model. Again, I love sitting in the back of the room, not because I'm a troublemaker and I can't sit still, but I love watching people's expressions as they're learning. And to see everybody and from so many different professions take all of this in, I had that moment of what are you going to do with this information? And what are you going to do with this information? Because we're all going to take home something. Yeah. Those are my words. And then the case reports. <clears throat> okay, we have Pollock and then Jay Shaw. Okay, so that's a segue. And between those, Candace Elliott put together in 30 minutes, this is how you turn your work into a case report. And as I'm watching her go through the steps, she ended up with, this is not that hard. Yeah. Thad will do the statistics and I'll help with the method section. And then the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. The case report that still has me, the burns, the acute burns on the child's face, amazing. But as a physical therapist that had a patient with that long in the calf, DVT, the patient was on anticoagulants. So it was standard of care plus FSM. She had a D-dimer, which is the chemical blood analysis of the enzyme that's there when you have a clot. And she had in big red letters, no, I didn't run 284 to dissolve the clot. She ran torn and broken and vitality in the vein. And it like my whole brain just went, do you suppose? That the vein itself has a mechanism that prevents clotting or that resolves blood clots because we have to be making clots all the time that get burgled away when the veins are happy. 
bigger when the veins are not happy. You know what? And I don't know if my brain would have gotten there if it weren't for Jerry Pollock's talk when he was talking about the circulation without the heart. Oh, remind me about that. You're saying in models, when the heart is not pumping, there is still circulation. Wow. I'll let you just, that was my moment where I'm just like, did everybody just hear that? So is there another mechanism that is helping our circulation? Was that the vortex? Yes. So I, okay. That I remember the vortex thing. Yes. That's because the heart does this instead of that. And then he went one step further by saying, even when the heart is not involved in doing a swirly vortex or pump, there is something else helping our circulation. Wow. Wow. To your point about going, does the vein have a mechanism? Maybe. All she ran was vitality in the vein. And the clot disappeared in 24 hours. Anticoagulants that you take when somebody has a DVT, it's four to six weeks. Weeks. Yeah. It was 24 hours. That's. Then her second case had a pulmonary embolism on top of the DVT. And anticoagulants. So she's just adding to, didn't add but PEs and DVTs, pulmonary embolisms and deep vein thrombosis, do not resolve in 24 hours. No. Period. That, like, my brain is still. And the, when you, that was the other thing, to be back in the ballroom with, what, 120? About 120 people. Now, the ballroom holds 300. So everybody was spread out, but we're back together a little bit last year, but this year was full on. We had practitioners from Italy, Egypt, England, Ireland, Canada, and Mexico. I forgot the nice man from Mexico when I was mentioning the countries. And it's okay. It was amazing. The stretch and the reach of FSM and the practitioners and the stories is, it's amazing. Nothing short of amazing. And Juliana Mortensen, Jim Oshman, this is the first symposium he's missed since 2003. And Juliana Mortensen presented, she's a MD and something with, she has a PhD in something, I think. Anyway, so she explained the electrical circulatory system and the history of electromedicine going back to the 1700s. And she literally, there's this one slide that explained how it is that 13 dissolves scar tissue, what it's actually doing to uh, collagen molecules or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll see if I can get into her slides and extract that and replace my little spring model. But I do love the spring model because it just reminds me of being a teenager and stretching the phone cord all around the kitchen to try to talk to my friend in the pantry. <laughs> True story. 
But then I realize how old I am when the young PTs are just like phone cord. I'm like, oh, yeah. Once upon a time, our phones had cords. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, the crosslink model isn't entirely wrong, but she adds, she added a detail to it that just, I think my, my mouth was actually open for probably a full 60 minutes. I'm going to have to go back and look because it's 13 is an integral part of the sports course and an integral part of what I do. Yeah. There's no way to, you can't. You can't do anything. You you can't contract a muscle if the antagonist has adhesions or has scarring or is compromised. Yeah. Yeah. I was, and I, I thought, gee, that's a lot of case reports on Sunday, but everyone was a jaw dropper. Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who else do we have? Oh, Diana Cross. Diana Cross. Oh, Mary Ellen Chalmers. Mary Ellen Chalmers, yes. In head and neck, that was 90 minutes on Friday. Yeah. So she yeah. was advanced Thursday, I think. Yeah. Head and neck and face pain. Yes. That there was so much to know. There is. And one of my biggest pet peeves in treating professional athletes with concussion, and I almost put my ears because I'm trying to downplay concussion. But a lot of concussion is misdiagnosed and it's flexion extension injuries in the neck. And when those flexion extension injuries are being treated, they're only treating the posterior C-spine and they're forgetting about the anterior C-spine and they're forgetting about the jaw. So it's been a pet peeve of mine and I have my own like TMJ talk that I love, but seeing obviously an expert in their field is so nice when they're validating certain things. I'm like, yes, I was doing that. So sometimes going to these courses isn't about learning something new. It's about the confidence that you get from seeing an expert and saying, oh, this is what I thought also. This is where I was going. Yeah, I keep remembering slices of things that we did. What was the other one? Oh, Diana Cross and the microRNA. And the, I don't even have words for her presentation because she does all this literature search. She prints off the papers and she said, you should see my living room. It's just covered with papers. And that's how she made her slides. And it's amazing. And glial cells and the descending and the, yeah, I. You must be so proud. You must have a moment at the advance where you sit back and you look at the talent and the giftedness of the presenters, and it must be mind blowing for you. It really is. This year, especially, is to to actually have those four days. Plus your three days and what you've done with the rehabilitation portion of FSM. So you start with the core, then you do rehab, then you put together the talent that we have at the advanced symposium. And it's, we did it. So I sat in the back of the room or stood in the back of the room with Roger Billica. I gave him on Saturday night, the night we gave out the awards, Jay Shaw got the Ruth Johnston Award. 
And I actually, I think for the first time ever, showed all of the cytokine data that we have from an IH. And there's 13 patients. We only had six in the paper. But then the second award was for Roger Billica for really, number one, saving me and us it and rebuilding the quality of the faculty by the quality of his presentations. And so I, that was Saturday night. And then on Sunday, well, yeah, Saturday night afterwards, it's like I finally got Roger Billica speechless. That was like the high spot of that day, except maybe with George's memorial was pretty cool. So Sunday, Roger and I were standing in the back of the room and looking at the speakers and the presentation and the case reports. Look what we did. Look what we did. It's wow. It's so gratifying. And that comes with setting a high bar. And you've always embodied that with all that you do. And that is inspiring to people. People want to rise up. And when you have a room and a symposium and a conference with the speakers that you do, there's moments where you're just so humble. You're like, wow, I... I'm in the same room. I had a couple fangirl moments this weekend. I have to say, A, Jay Shaw knew who I was and was asking about certain things. And I was like, <laughs> you know who I am? Okay. <laughs> because I went to Jay Shaw's lecture in Calgary 25 years ago with an MD that I was in our clinic. And he snuck me in as part of the medical faculty so I could listen to this trigger point workshop because he thought I'd find it exciting. So when I met Jay Shaw again, like 15 years later, I was like, I saw you. I was like this little green new grad. And anyway, so I had that moment. And the second moment was when Roger Billica came up to me after my Hidden Gems talk. And he's, you are such a good speaker. You're, you are telling me because I think Roger is. Amazing. There's so many good speakers, but yeah, Roger, the way he delivers very controversial, content dense material, like his neurotransmitter workshop, changed my life. Let alone like the way I think about patients. But yeah, so yeah. thanks for raising the bar and bringing us all up there with you because that's it. I have. I don't have any words. It's like when you, Kevin is the one that has put it the best way. I said, how do you do this? He said, you just do the next thing. Right. So you keep showing up. Same yeah. thing everybody does in their clinics. And 10 years ago, it was really hard to get people to do case reports. Yeah. I had 18 case reports this year and two or three of them had to be just put on the event page because they're from foreign countries. Now, one is from Poland, one is from Colorado, and she couldn't come in person, and one's from Australia. And I'm not being overly modest in the least. I get it. But 
y'all need to understand if I was the only one that could do this, it wouldn't count for anything. The thing that makes FSM powerful is that I can give you the frequencies and teach you the language. And that's what I saw in the case reports. Right. Were applying it to cases and situations that they'd never seen before. And they did treatment one, and that did one thing. And then treatment two, they had to do something else. And then something else didn't work. And so they did treatment. And eight treatments down the road, they'd figured it out. It was just so gratifying. Gratifying. And I get that only because of now teaching the sports modules or the rehab modules and putting together ideas. And now the people who have been taking my courses are coming back and they're saying, oh, I'm so grateful I learned this because I had this. And so it's the same thing. Yes, I'm a good therapist, but you are also the reproduction, the reproducible magic is... Um, a whole other level of satisfaction that I am learning. Yeah. And then this, and it has to be reproducible for it to persist. With now we've reached the point of in order for it to persist, people have to start publishing case reports. Yeah. And there was somebody. Was that Juliana Mortensen? Somebody that has the journal of bioelectric medicine? Probably her. Sounds, I don't know. Anyway, so the next step in order to get us to persist is to become evidence-based. And a single case report is the lowest life form of evidence-based. Collected case report is second. But before you can do a control trial, you have to do, you have to have at least a sync published single or collected case report before you can even talk to anybody about doing a control trial. Oh, and I love serving lunch. We love you serving us lunch. Because yeah, everybody sits and talks and it's like a beehive and cross fertilization. And-, and you're, I don't know, about, I can't speak for everybody else, but after learning, I'm more hungry after like my brain muscle has been used up than after I go running. So I'm like, excuse me, guys, I'm just going to get a second plate. They're like, where do you put it all? I'm like, it's going right back up here <laughs> because I'm so depleted. Yeah. And I ran eight miles this morning just to warm up. <laughs> I, Yes. And I was, I'm very grateful that the Crown Plaza has a 24 hour gym because I was down there at 420 every morning running. And because I had to run before this, I teach and I have to be like grounded and ready. So I'm not flying off the ceiling. So it's a good plan. There's that. We have a couple questions. Let's get to before we unpack any more about our weekend. So Leaf says, hello, you two. Welcome home. Is there an emotional component connection to turning the Vegas back on or even a constitutional factor aspect? Oh, we talked in the advanced, I think, about the emotional component. And we have the 970s for specific emotions. But over the last, especially the last 10 years, 
emotions don't come from space. The limbic system starts it. So I think you run 40 and 94, 40 and 89. So quiet down the medulla, the autonomics, quiet down the limbic system. And then it's easier to treat the emotional component. We did something in the core strange with one of the 970s. No. It had come to me. Oh, I know it was because we had, a, had an acupuncturist that was really good at pulses, and she was five elements, acupuncturist. So we proceeded with that. The constitutional factors, this year, I've been teaching these since 1999, 98, and this year for the first time, I'm a little slow on the uptake, right? So this year, for the first time, when I was going through the specific miasm frequencies and the advanced, you have the soric constitutional factor, and soric is like psoriasis, right? So if somebody with a soric constitutional factor gets an autoimmune condition, they end up with psoriasis or scleroderma. It affects the skin. Somebody like me, who's psychotic, and it's S-Y-C-O-T-I-C, really don't like that one. But anyway, that's mine. It's like my joints get stiff, my spine gets stiff, and the autoimmune disease that I got is stiff person syndrome. And that's... So the genetic factor, the miasm, the constitutional factor, it sort of determines which autoimmune disease, where autoimmune conditions show up. The vagus is related to all of them. And I've been running 6.8 and 38 for, what, 27 years and on a regular basis. And I still ended up with an autoimmune condition because I have antibodies to black mold. That's not fair. It's never as simple as we think it is, which is why we have guest speakers who tell us how complicated it is. And I was so inspired after Roger Billica's constitutional factor talk that I was trying it on everybody and nothing ever really blew my hair back. And I always thought maybe I'm using it the wrong way or maybe I'm not using them at the right time. So I'd always just default to 6.8 and 38. And I felt a lot safer and more effective just with that single one. So maybe I'll reinvest, I'll reinvestigate the more specific ones. I don't know. I never, I honestly, I rarely used them. And after getting to that portion, yeah, uh, Roger brought it up and he made the flow chart. Like, how do you decide which one to use? What runs in what family? And it's, so now I'm seeing somebody tomorrow, back in the clinic tomorrow. And okay, it's yeah. a pathetic neuralgia patient. And I remember it's fresh in my head now. Yeah. And I have too much time to forget it. So <laughs> it you learn a little bit at a time. So that yeah. whole drinking from a fire hose thing is just take what you can. <laughs> like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Love that. I love that. 
because that's what it is. I need a picture of an elephant with a bite out of its ear. I'll find you one. I'm good at finding these things from my slide. Elf writes, if one wanted to help increase synovial fluid in a joint that was deficient in the amount of fluid, would you use 81 increased secretions and 480 in the joint capsule? Question mark. We have a... You might use 81 and the synovium, which is 386, but there's a question before that, Elf. But to me, it's like the really big question is what... How would one know that there's not enough synovial fluid in the joint as opposed to not enough fluid or it's the right amount of fluid, but it's too thick. Be careful what you ask for. (laughs) What if it works? Right. But if 81 and the synovium 386 made the joint puff up, you could reverse it with 40. And there is a specific creaking sound with joint movement in certain ranges. What would that have to do with you go? I was going to say my response is, what does that have to do with not enough synovial fluid? I wouldn't have gone there. I would have gone more with increased vitality to the joint surface. I'm thinking when there's creaky or cracking, there's, I think, Right away, the creaky cracky came from somewhere first. So I'm thinking either Wolf's Law or if it is just a degeneration of cartilage, I'm not going to synovium or synovial fluid. I'm going to join I'm assuming the creaky joint is usually the knee, right? With certain ranges. I'm not sure which joint it is, but you've got the meniscus, you've got the labrum sometimes i really love using increased vitality to the joint surface when i have creaky cracky so joint surface being like cartilage yeah like 157 yeah yeah and periosteum fair enough cool that's usually just my that's where i'll start anyways i'm not saying that's the end all be all but that's where if it doesn't work at least then okay it's not that And I typically like to start with 49 before jumping to 81, unless I know it's absolutely 81, because 81 can sometimes, like you said, can get you into a little bit of trouble. What are we increasing when we're talking about secretions? Whereas the vitality, I feel, is a safer like place to start. I used to say it's like the appetizer. And he says, I find it in shoulders of older people who have had trauma to the area oh dear my go-to in shoulders literally at the instructor course when we did the supine cervical practicum twice i think and then we did the neck and shoulder and out of one two three four five tables we had three with posterior joint tears Partial thickness tears. So if the shoulder, this is preaching to the choir, but it's the shoulder more than any joint depends completely on muscle balance. Yeah. I don't know if you designed it, but there's major design flaws. Yeah. If you have a tendinopathy in the posterior shoulder muscles, it's going to make crunchy noises. Fix it, Kim. (laughs) Sorry. So... 
the shoulder, like you said, it relies inherently on rotator cuff muscle control. So when there is a breakdown in the mechanics, whether it's a tear, labral tear, previous dislocation, separation, any sort of trauma in the shoulder, everybody's had trauma to their shoulder. There's that alteration in mechanics. So the humeral head doesn't sit in the glenoid fossa properly. And then when there's tears in the labrum, again, more splinting, more compensation. So the mechanics are what's causing the creaky crackiness. So you get the, you get, and again, you have to watch my YouTube, not listen to me, but I'm making a, making a humerus in a fossa. When you get a humeral head that's articulating in the fossa the way it's supposed to, you watch how the creaky cracky decreases. And yes, you'll get mineral deposits. So I'm thinking about doing those types of things in the joint. So I would do probably so many things before thinking about increasing synovium. And the other thing that I stumbled over is after you release the subscapular nerve from the subscapular's muscle, yes, down and release the lat from the serratus. Yes. And then, if you're very nice to it, you can get the lower trap to contract and the serratus to contract and scapula because shoulder motion has almost nothing to do with the shoulder and it has an awful lot to do with the scapula being in the right place doing the right thing and that starts with this funky muscle that goes to your ribs and your scapula yes it's called scapula humeral rhythm and there's a three to one ratio. So for every three degrees or two, depending on what book you read, for every two or three degrees that your humerus AV ducts, the scapula has to upwardly rotate one degree. So there is a rhythm to this. And so for the people that think they can fix shoulder pathology by just looking at the glenohumeral joint, you have another thing coming to you. You That's have okay. to start at the scapula. Because like you said, that the scap, the subscap, the long thoracic nerve, the serratus, all have muscles that the serratus is stuck to. Exactly. So they all have this, what I call polyamorous codependent relationship that you have to (laughs) take them apart and get them to be independent structures before you can even look it up here. And so free up the shoulder blade and then the arm can just float. But then they have to form a community that agrees to work together to get the trains to run on time and to go to the right stop or the right place. <laughs> yes. Yes. So why we want to create individuals, we wanted to create a team. But it's like when a sports team rebrands, they fire the coaches, they fire the players, they bring everybody new back in. And that's what you have to do. And then get proper firing patterns to happen again, because those muscles have been turned off for so long. So like you said, getting the mid and low trap to participate in life again can be challenging. Speaking of sports teams. Yes. This year's Super Bowl is the third out of the last five where both teams have FSM in the locker room. Yeah. About that. 
I do know this. Wicked cool. I do know this. I just want to make sure we're not. Um, Sounds like two pieces of rubber rubbing against each other. Okay. Well, all right. Okay. Let us know, Al. Simona. You're going to read that. Do we have a question to read? Yeah. Simona Willis. Wish I could have been there. You can still, can they still get it on video? Can they still purchase the course on video? The advanced? If they attended, they can. She didn't attend. If they did not attend, they will have to wait until we have videos processed. So if you didn't get to attend, Simona, once they get the videos processed, which will be, what, about four weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Then you can purchase it on video, and so that'll work. If the thalamus always ma- also manages pain, it suppresses acute pain and amplifies chronic pain, and you quiet it down for quieting down the limbic system, can you create a pain spike? Okay. Yes. Yep. I'm guessing that would mainly be happening if it's dealing with acute pain. Yes. And since the vagus is turned down by infection, stress, and trauma, when you have acute pain, you have trauma, right? There's bits and pieces of broken things, tissue and whatever, floating around. The vagus senses those bits and pieces, tells the midbrain, Hey, we got a problem down here. Midbrain says, you just quiet down there. So you ever notice that when you have a virus, you have no appetite. You don't want to eat. Right. And if you've broken your leg or you've had a laceration or surgery, you're not particularly hungry. That's because everything, the vagus and appetite has been turned down. So you're absolutely correct. So excited. We were talking about Diana Cross came up and we're going to Sydney in October. Yeah. So we're going to do core sports and an advanced in about a 10 day period. Yeah. In Sydney. I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm very excited. Diana Cross came to the sports course. So again, another like kind of fangirl moment of, whoa, this is pretty neat to have her in the audience. Yeah. So yeah, and then we had a little bit of George's memorial too. So that's worth mentioning. Saturday night was much easier. We did a short version on Friday night. Yeah. And Saturday night we did the version making just so everybody knows, I taught for five days. I had a fo- that photo shoot from 1991. Man did not like having his picture taken. So we had the photo shoot from 91. I had the pictures downloaded and I put that memorial together on Tuesday. Kevin had audio from 2009 when we were in San Antonio and Saturday night listening to George's voice was just, it was, it was, I had Catholian Burke up on the stage with me for the whole time. And I just reached over and held Dave Burke's hand the whole time. But it was how to approach it. Because it's not, look at all this stuff George did, because George wanted more than anything to be invisible. He just showed up in the things that he did. And so it ended up being 
what George would tell you. What would he tell you? You are not your body. That's the first thing. When you come home from work and you take off your coat, are you a different person? No. So when you die and you take off your body, are you a different person? No. It was really nice. And the audience said the look on my face when I was listening to his voice was just, that was really sweet. That was nice. So when we did the podcast live, oh yeah, it was so hard for me because I literally came running down the stairs from the sports course <laughs> yeah. to, to being with you. And then talking to you, this is very different. I love being next to you. But there's something about looking at you when we're talking that, and maybe it's just the way that our podcast started over COVID and how we were both dying to talk and <laughs> about frequencies that this gives me so much like just joy and comfort talking to you like this. So it was great to have the studio audience. It was so great when I said to my students, I'm like, listen, we have to wrap up by five because we're recording right now. They're like, Can we come? I'm like, of course you can. Live yeah. studio audience, yes, please. So well, we the, go ahead. No, you just get so much energy from having people with um, you. The biggest challenge I have doing the podcast with you side to side is the reality is that when I'm standing next to you, I don't want to talk to the camera. I just want to put my arm around you and I don't actually need words. I know. And nothing was displayed more than when you were getting treated in the ballroom. And I don't know what they were, I think it was balancing the energy centers. And I just picked, and that doesn't happen to me very often where I get so affected by somebody else getting treated, but it just hit me. And I'm like, I got to just stand over there until you're done. And then Ben was so sweet. He's texting me. We're done. You can come back. It was really funny. But going back to what I was going to say with the podcast, we ended and I didn't have my quote ready. And it was meant to be because I was listening to this podcast after I got back from our trip and I had to pause it three times and listen to it. And I wrote it down and it is perfect for right now. So let me just pull it up. So I'm going to share this. I missed one quote and I'm going to make it up by giving you this one. At times, you have to leave the city of your comfort and go into the wilderness of your intuition. What you'll discover will be wonderful. What you'll discover is yourself. Amen. Yep. And that totally encompassed my experience at the advance. And I think so many other people where we are so far out of our comfort zone at times with what we were doing. Whether it is like intellectually or using your intuition, and there's so many practitioners that self-admittedly say that they don't have any intuition. They are being guided by science, and that is okay. And then eventually the bird comes and tells you, and you learn to trust the bird. But who was the one that had the picture? Was that Juliana Mortensen? I don't know. Somebody, maybe it was Rob, but he had a picture of my head and then this bird. <laughs> and it was <laughs> But say that quote again. It's totally. At times, you have to leave the city of your comfort and go into the wilderness of your intuition. 
What you'll discover will be wonderful. What you'll discover is yourself. And I believe completely in informed intuition. Yes. You have to start. It was Jesse. Thank you, Catherine. You have to start with at least some information. Yes. Yes, to build the hypothesis. You're right. Yes. But the intuition part of this is, and we found it out in the case reports. Yeah. People using frequency combinations that I didn't teach them, that they put together on their own in specific cases where they were way out of their depth. Yeah. Talking about a DPT, a PhD physical therapist treating a deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism. Excuse me? And yeah. Yeah. I like that quote. I think it's beautiful. So on that note, we can wrap up our debriefment episode and get back to all the amazing things next next week. Works for me. So we'll see everybody a week from now. Same time, same place. We're back on schedule. Yeah. And we'll see you then. Love ya. Love you back. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.